0: We're so glad you're here. I see so many familiar faces. My name is Cami Summers, and Jeff and I are married, and we're glad you're here. And this is Parent U. If you wandered in for the donuts and coffee, we're glad you're here. If you're here for more, we're glad you're here, too. I want to welcome you to Parent U. This is the third out of four weeks. We'll be here again next week talking about foundations and... I wanted to share at the very, very beginning to kind of set up our conversation, a little bit about a conversation I had. Um, From a distance, it didn't make sense. Why would this boy rebel? His parents were strong Christians. They loved him well and took him to church most weeks. As I sat across from them, I didn't understand the situation, but I shared their grief And their heartbreak, as they described, their child had walked away from Jesus. But a deeper examination revealed more to the story. The mother's fear and previous experiences made her very, very controlling. The husband was a high achiever, and he expected great things, very driven. Their household was one of strict rules with severe consequences, and their kids were expected to toe the line. Achievement was rewarded, and failure was unacceptable. And as I looked at the household, I wondered, is it possible that this kid, who mostly followed the rules, missed the story of grace? Is it possible that his parents taught him about obedience, but they failed to teach him about God's unconditional love? We're going to be talking about some of that today.
1: Let's pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much just for the opportunity to come together to discuss parenting. To the privilege that it is, Lord, just to be parents, Lord. We thank you for that. We ask for wisdom and guidance. We ask you to speak to us this morning by your word and by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So over the last two weeks of Parent U, we've been talking about foundations. And what that means is what we're discussing is the foundation for teenagers. Like what, what are the foundational principles that should guide us as we're raising kids through the teenage years? That's what we mean when we say foundations. And we've covered a lot of stuff over the last couple weeks. So if you've missed a week, the podcasts are up. Now, if you want to check out week one or two, and one of the things that we've been discussing is our goal, right? Our goal is to see our kids move from being dependent on us as little kids to independence and ultimately to God dependence, right? That's the main goal of what we're trying to see happen over the teen years. And so we want to keep our eyes on that goal and keep our eyes on the prize And the Bible does have a prescription for that. We looked at it briefly last week. We're going to just revisit it right now from Deuteronomy chapter 11. Okay. So what does Deuteronomy 11 say? It's a long passage, so follow along. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children. So he is talking about the law, these words of mine that he's talking about in context is the law of God. You shall teach them to your children, talking about them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, Loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all the nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon, and from the river to the river Euphrates, to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land, and you shall tread as he promised you. I love, I mean, man, the the imagery, right, that we have there. Your kids are going to be victorious. You are going to own the land. Everywhere they set the sole of their foot, I will give to them. Man, that is awesome, right? I want that for my kids. I want them to be progressing with the kingdom of God in that kind of, that level of victory. I get excited when I read that, but we talked about last week the problem with us with this passage, right? It says we're supposed to be Teaching our children all of these things when we rise up, when we walk along the road, when we lie down, when we sit at our house, basically all the time. And what's the problem with that? We're not with our kids all the time. In fact, most of us see our kids a very short period of time during the day. And so this is very difficult for us to do. And so what we have to do is engage. We have to be very intentional about the things that we're doing. And we have to engage regularly uh, with our kids, and this this is this is a problem, and th- and there's another problem that comes up even as we discuss this, right? If the ultimate goal is God dependence, we have a problem with that, and I'm going to give you a little formula that uh, is kind of hard, all right? A plus B does not equal C. Okay, A plus B does not equal C. We all had some algebra, right? You're familiar with this basic formula we know we want a formula with parenting, especially when it comes to our kids becoming believers. Right? We have... We, we, we want a formula and there isn't one. Uh, does it not say in Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Right? We want to take that and go, there we go. I do the right things. This is my contract with God. I'm going to do the right things and then my child's going to become a believer. And yet... There is no exact formula for that. Um, the, the things in Proverbs, what it says there, Proverbs are generally things that are true because of wisdom. They're not promises. And we can be, you know, we can get confused by that. Um, we want to apply this to faith, but it's broader than that. This particular passage is not specifically speaking just about faith. It does include that, and we'll get into that more. But God is the only one who controls the heart. Salvation comes from the Lord. John 6, is another passage we need to think about. No one can come to me. This is Jesus talking. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Who is the one who holds the heart of our children in his hands? It's God. Now, that can be comforting and that can be terrifying at the same time, right? Um, to see... That take place, even in the story Cammie read at the beginning, right? We see this idea of, man, to hear someone that I know, and their, their child's not walking with the Lord, because as parents, we have all this guilt that will, you know, what did I do wrong, right? And we'll talk, we talk a lot in here about the fact that we don't, we don't have that much power, and we did a whole series on that. Um, Cammie and I did a whole series uh, on raising a prodigal and raising a Pharisee that is on the podcast, it's on iTunes, that was the last series we did in the fall. So we did four weeks on this idea of your kids becoming a believer. So if you want to use that as a resource, you can check that out. So, what, But here's the thing. If there's no formula, what do we control and what do we contribute when it comes to this? Okay? Um, so we're going to throw some questions up. It's a good time for us to stop now and pause and just discuss some stuff uh, here. So here's some, some questions you guys can circle up. Uh, did your household atmosphere encourage or discourage you towards authentic faith? All right, let's go back and think about what the environment was you were raised in. Did it encourage you towards authentic faith or discourage it? Um, Would your kids say in your household that it's okay to fail? If your life is a billboard, what is it advertising right now to your kids? That's a good one. If your life is a billboard, what is it advertising to your kids? And share some ways you're trying to model your faith with your teens, what is working and what isn't. Now, you don't have to go through all these questions, right? You don't have that long. Pick one or two of these, circle up, and let's spend some time discussing these things right now. Let's go back to that A plus B does not equal C. I want to kind of modify that a little bit. In, my, in looking back at this, I think it's more like A plus B equals C-ish. You know, that maybe... We can fudge that a little bit. There are some things that we can do. And let me, let me be clear. We can be formulaic in training our kids to be independent. Right? I mean, you, there are some things you can do, you know, to teach your kids grooming, to teach them how to clean their room, to teach them to be responsible. Right? We can be formulaic in some of these things. We don't control whether or not they're a believer, but we do control and can train them in a sense of... Uh, of some of these basic responsibilities of adulthood, right? Which is comforting. And we should do those things, right? We want them to be responsible adults regardless. Um, but the fact remains that their faith, this, this idea of following after God is something that we don't have. Uh, we're not, that's not in our pay grade to be able to guarantee that they can do that. Um, so what, what can we do? So if A plus B equals C-ish, we can, what are the things that we can do to come alongside them? And so when we look back at, at Deuteronomy 11, and, and we don't have the whole passage on there, but there's some things I want to point out. He says, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. So there's a lot, it's interesting when you look back at this passage, not at the part that talks about when you're supposed to teach your kids, which we said is difficult for us to do, but there's a lot of things here that are about us. When you look at this passage, right? He says, are these things in our heart and in our soul? Okay, so we kind of can say, okay, yeah, if I'm a believer, we should take for granted that those are in my heart and my soul. We shall bind them as signs on your hand and shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Okay, now some in Jewish culture, they have these things called phylacteries where they actually bind a box with scripture in it on their forehead and they took it very literally and bound it on their hands. Uh, I don't think that's really what he's getting at here. I think he's saying that, no, what it's supposed to be, is it, is, it, is it a front lip between your eyes? Is it the thing that's driving you and the way that you make decisions? Is it, is it bound to your hands and the action of the way that you perform? Is that, is that driven by your relationship with God? Okay, and by the law of God. When you keep going down, he says, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Is this the atmosphere of our home? Right? Is Christianity the very atmosphere the the breath that they breathe when you walk into your house does it scream that you are a follower of Christ and I'm not just talking about you know paintings of you know velvet Jesus on the wall or something like that right okay I'm saying no it, it, and it's not even about having bible verses written everywhere though you could do that but it's more about is the general tone and atmosphere of your house one that would have this aroma of Christ verse 22 says for if you will be careful to do all that I command for this commandment and the commandments that you do, loving the Lord your God. And then he says, walking in all his ways and holding fast to him. Walking in all his ways and holding fast to him. Are we clinging to him, right? When things are hard, do our kids see us? Man, I am, you know what? I do a lot of things wrong, but I am holding fast to Jesus right now. Okay, those things are about what we're doing when when our kids are around. Are they seeing these things in our lives? Um, So some things to consider when you when you think about this. I love this illustration Uh, is is Jesus. You know, when you go to a restaurant uh, and this happens, I used to be a, a waiter and I can remember going and people would always be like, hey, I want a salad, but I want the dressing on the side right you get a little ramekin of dressing right there and you just put it on wherever you want you know you that's you get control as much of the dressing as you want a lot of us if we're not careful our relationship with Jesus is like that we just want a little Jesus on the side right he's just a part of our life he is not the very atmosphere of our life he is not the front lip between our eyes he's not driving everything we do we just like a little Jesus on the side Okay, And if that is what we model for our kids, then they see their relationship with God as something that's just a part of their life, but it doesn't, it's not the controlling thing of their life, every aspect of their life. right? And really, our relationship with God is supposed to be like a Caesar salad, right? Where you put everything in the bowl and you stir it all up and it covers every crouton and every leaf and everything and every bite is covered and dripping with dressing. That's the way our relationship with God is supposed to be like. And when we model that, our kids can't get away from it, right? It's in everything that we do. It's all around. It's what is defining us. And so then we have to ask ourselves this. Are we enjoying our faith? Are we miserable Christians who are kind of, it's all about duty. It's all about getting it right. Or do our kids catch us actually giggling and enjoying Jesus? Are we singing? Are we in that relationship with God that it's like, man, this is a delight, or is it just duty? And that's a question that's really important for us to ask. Even this morning, I was, Kim and I woke up, I was like, do I enjoy my faith? Like, are our kids really? I mean, I'm, I'm teaching this, and I'm like, gosh, am I really doing this? Am I, Am I enjoying God? Are they seeing that? Am I modeling dependence and delight, or do I just want to get it right? Colossians 3 says this in a way that I think is really cool. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. So the beginning of that, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So it's got to just be a part of you, dwelling in you richly. The word Does it come out in the things that we're saying all the time to our kids? And then he says, teaching and admonishing. Now this, we get. We're supposed to teach and admonish, right? Our kids. And some of us do this in a formal way. Some of you might be the kind of parent who's like, you know what, kids, it's Saturday morning. We're going to sit down on the couch here, and I want everybody there, and we're going to pull out the devotional, and we're going through this, and it's going to be kind of formal training, and we're going to do that. And... I'll tell you, I've spent a lot of years feeling guilty that I am not that kind of dad, okay? I wish I were. I wish I could. If you do that, it's awesome. I've never been the formal training kind of guy. Uh, I am, when I took my right path, I'm the most unstructured guy. If there's 100 people in this room, I am the most unstructured, okay? So that kind of thing doesn't work as well for me. But I will say, as well... I mean, that's good news to me that I don't have to necessarily fall into that, but at the same time, I will say this. If you are a structured, I do the devotional, we're going to sit down, we're going to have formal training, we're going to talk about this together as a family, which is great, but then you don't live out what you're teaching your kids, you're doing more harm than good in that time. Because then what they're saying is, this is, this is hypocrisy. Like, the things that you're teaching us and telling us is not the way our household runs. And It would be better if you take those teachable moments throughout the day and pause the TV and talk and turn down the radio and engage. That is the way that I like to to do that, right, in in all of life, right? I think that Deuteronomy goes back to that. Then in all of life, we share these things and and we talk about it because I think a lot of Christianity is more caught than taught, right? And that's what those things in Deuteronomy 11 we were talking about. Is it in the doorpost? Is it the front lid in your eyes? Is it are you clinging to Christ? And if your kids see you doing all of that, they go, wow, I'm seeing the power of this working out in my parents' life. Um, and you're not going to do this perfectly, right? Um, but you and I are a billboard of who Christ is to our kids. They're looking at us, and they're watching us, and they're seeing the relationship that we have with God. And they're asking themselves, now not, maybe not when they're little... But when they get older, and especially as they move into those teen years, they're going, is this true? And they have to ask that. They have to go, it has to go from your faith to their faith. And they're going to question it. And they're going to say, do I really believe this? Is this the truth? And if they're watching us struggling and living this out in joy and that we're madly in love with Jesus, they're going to be like, I, yeah, I like this. I'm seeing the way this works out in my parents' life. This looks good. Now, again, that's no guarantee, but at least... It's something that we do control to some degree, right? The way that we're living that out. Um, when Zane was little, I used to watch him run around. He's my youngest, and he would run around and play, and he was like the snuggliest kid. And sometimes, as the little kids do, you know, they, he's running around, and he's like, Dad, watch this. And he's picking stuff up, and he's wanting to impress me, and he's, you know, smashing cars together, or he's doing whatever, and Dad, watch this, Dad, watch this. And the, the whole time he's trying to impress me and get my approval... While he jumps off the couch into a pile of pillows or whatever, you know what I want him to do? I want him to sit in my lap. I would rather just snuggle. You know, hey, come sit with me and just talk to me and just be with me. Quit trying to impress me and do that. And yet that's what we do with God. Uh, Years ago, I heard a, a sermon illustration that was just amazing where he said, this guy said, you know what? For a lot of us, our relationship with God is like a ladder okay and if we think we're doing well we're climbing up the rungs and when you have a bad weekend and you sin a few times and things aren't going well or you don't want God you feel like you slide down two or three rungs and that is not the way he said your relationship with God is really supposed to be like a lap because God's already died for you he accepts you the way that you are and he wants you to climb up in his lap and be with him and sit with him and snuggle seems silly to snuggle with God, right? But that's what he wants. He wants to be with us. And I think we have a hard time with that idea. But are we are we showing that? If that if we live our life with Christ in front of our kids as a billboard of sitting in God's lap, that's what I want way more than if we live our life with God climbing a ladder. And if we're teaching them that it's a ladder, we can judge them based on where the, what rung they're on in any particular day. And that is not what we're trying to achieve. That's not what we want to accomplish. Um, so, you know, moving on from that, how, how often do we get in the way of our kids really learning God dependence, okay? Um, you know, last week we talked about how our kids really they need to have dependence on God. They need to be put in positions where they can learn to depend on Him and where they might actually fail. And that's difficult for us to do is to put them in positions to fail, right? Um, yet failure is a huge part of learning. I mean, most of us in this room have probably learned a lot more from the times we failed in life than from the, the times that we've succeeded. And so how are we doing that? Are we creating an atmosphere where it's okay to fail? Um, because we have no way of knowing if they're ready for something if they're not tested, right? If they aren't, if they aren't being tested, how do we know how, how they're doing in that? Um, so when we don't create an environment where it's okay to fail, when it's not okay to fail, we're teaching them that our love is conditional. And we make them think, if our love's conditional and they're taking their cues of God's love from us, then it, it makes it seem like God's love is conditional. And so we have to live in grace and we have to extend grace so that they understand it. So what are these areas where, you can, where they can be tested? All right, some of it is like that first cell phone. That's a big test, isn't it? How are they gonna, what are they gonna do on that thing, on that device? Can they be trusted? There's a lot of, and we've done a whole parent you on screens too as well that, that we could go into. A lot of testing opportunities with the cell phone. And so giving them that, you have to trust, you can trust them to hand that to them, but you got to verify as well, right? Uh, And again, there's a whole lot we could go into there, but that's just one place. Having a sleepover with friends, right? That was our illustration last week, right? If you're over at a friend's house, there's all kinds of trouble you can get into. Um, Are we putting them in those positions where they might fail in that environment, in that situation? Um, Sending them off to a week of summer camp or maybe the whole summer of camp. Where they have to be independent for a while and can't depend on us and call us uh, every, every weekend or every moment to find out what they're supposed to do in a situation. Constantly checking their grades and forcing them to study. Are we the ones driving their study habits? Or are they owning that? Are we letting them fail? Especially up through eighth grade it's a great idea to let them fail in that in that time frame right we know it starts to count more and the incredible pressure we can put on them when they move into high school uh, with that as well can be an opportunity for them you know do we trust god with their college situation and are they failing do we make our kids work their way out of their own messes with their teacher with their boss with their drama teacher with their coach do, they, do When they have these conflicts that come up, um, do we rush in and rescue them? Or do we say, you know what? You need to work that out. Well, I'm not going to talk to my coach about that. Well, then you're just going to you're gonna have to deal with it. You need to go and speak to your teacher about this. Well, their teacher is a big, scary person. But for them to have that agency and to learn to depend on God, hey, let's pray for your teacher right now hey, let's pray for this conversation. Hey, I can coach you on what to say when you go talk to your teacher, right? We can still come alongside them in this. It's not just like, ah, you're on your own. Take care of that. No, we can still coach them and pray for them and teach them to depend on God in this situation rather than rush in and help them out of it, right? And this is called agency. We teach them when they deal with their own problems psychologically, that's called agency. Again, that's in the book, Price, the, the Price of Privilege, by Madeline Levine, great book that really goes through some of these psychological uh, issues as your kids are developing a sense of self. We also have to ask ourselves, besides, is is it okay to fail? What's the environment? What's the billboard that we're putting out there for our kids? Ask ourselves, what are our idols, right? We get in the way, a lot of times, of our own parenting and seeing our kids develop this God-dependence. What are the idols that we have? Um, success might be one of those idols. I want my kids to be successful, right? I have hopes and dreams for them uh, that I want to see take place and happen in their lives. Sometimes their success can look like maybe it's sports team success. That never happens around here, right, in Johns Creek. We don't have our kids in club sports, do we? Year-round, all the time. I mean, I remember I had a kid come up to me and brag that he played 180 games of baseball last year. And I thought that's really sad, you know. Um, That's normal for this area, Uh, and we, you know, are. But what is that us driving that success? Is that something that we're pushing? Because I, I wasn't the athlete I wanted to be, or what? You know, is that my own wound that I have that I'm, I'm compensating with my kids, and I want to see them succeed in this way. so that can be one of those things. It can be when my kids graduated from high school. I've got a, one that already has and another one coming up. They may not go the direction I want them to go. And that's shocking to me. <laughs> Wait a second. You, you, you know, How many times are you, you going to take a prep course? Oh, you don't, you don't want to? Wait. Are you going to go to this school? You're not going to apply? Where are you going you know, to? What, what pathway is their life going to take? And it's weird. They have their own ideas. That I didn't give them, and it's it. I was amazed at how I did worse with Tirza, the, my oldest. You know, to go, wow, I, I didn't even realize how many ideas I had of what success looked like in that stage. And I did much better with Jace, although I'm still learning. Probably by the time Zane comes around, my fourth one, I'll be like, okay, I got this. Do whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> whatever. Just don't die. You know, go do. Don't sell drugs. Um. But other than that, whatever you want. So, you know, but I get caught up in these things because success was more of an idol for me than I realized. Okay, with my own kids. Um, peace and comfort is an idol. This is a big one for us. Peace and comfort. that This is my idol. Not their, I mean, they believe me, they have that idol as well. But peace and comfort is an idol that I have. I sometimes don't engage them Remember we talked about intent, being intentional and engaging. I don't engage them because I'm selfish and I'm tired, okay? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and why is that? Why, why God's like, you know what, let's design this where the parents are like the most stressful, hey, let's throw some menopause in there, let's throw, <laughs> let's throw... Uh, The most, you know, most responsibility at work that you're ever going to have. Let's throw all this together and then we'll make the hormones go up, you know, 600 times and throw all this at them all at the same time. This is a good idea. And by the way, your parents are aging at the same time and you got to take care of them. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense to me. I would have designed it differently. Um, But he didn't ask me that. Okay. But we're selfish and tired and that and that peace and that comfort is an idol that I have to die to and go okay no I have to engage I have to stop this Um, so like a lot of things in life one of the things I want to give you again that if you're not a formal discipleship person that's one thing here's another thing it's a batting average you know a batting average is like a batting average Apparently like 300 is really good. And I think, and I'm not a baseball person, but I think that means like three out of 10 times you get on base, right? Is that a batting average? So to me, that's pretty awful. Like I played other sports and I'm thinking three out of 10, that's pretty, that's not very good. But in baseball, that's amazing. I think in parenting, that probably is amazing too. Are you engaging three out of 10 times that you have with them where you're really doing everything right and you're awake um, (laughs) and you're, and you're engaged, right, if that, maybe it's more, maybe it's five out of 10, 500 would be a good batting average for parenting, but we do have to think about that. You're not going to get it right every single time, okay, and that's okay. Um, Another big idol that I've seen over the years is respect, and this is a big one, okay. Respect can be your idol, Um, and this, this one's so easy to fall into. We kind of have this idol of first time obedience with our kids, especially when they're little. It's like this goal, man. When I I mean, we, we had friends like this uh, several years ago and this woman had like hundred kids and man that house ran like 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 clockwork. It was amazing. Like those kids were like boom, as soon as she said something, they were wah, wah, wah. you know, and just everything she said they did first time, boom. I was like, this is amazing. Well, until she got to the teen years. And then she expected that kind, of, that kind of obedience. And guess what? It doesn't happen like that. And think about it. In your life, is that the way your, your life operates? You know, Cami told that story with tears in week one about, I don't care what you want. This is what I want, and we're all going to do it. We don't talk to adults like that. We don't talk to our coworkers like that. We don't expect first-time obedience. I mean, I don't know if some of you may have your own business, and that's the way it runs. That's amazing. Generally, people want more information than just you said it, I'm going to go execute, right? And yet we get that way, you know, with our kids. We don't tell them why. It's because I said so. We, well, you didn't say yes, sir. Don't you talk to me like that, right? We can get into this whole thing where this respect is such a big deal. And remember, they're becoming a person and we have to give respect. That's a big thing for us that really we make a lot of missteps in this area is when we don't respect our kids, they don't respect us. We have to give respect, we have to earn respect. Earned respect is so much better than positional authority. Okay. We want our house to run, like do you remember uh, Sound of Music when he like blew the whistle and the kids all ran out before he had the nanny, you know, and he's like, I'm, I'm the Colonel or whatever, and they're gonna line up and boom. And a lot of us in our mind, that's kind of like this idol. We want that. We want to, hey, they're going to line up, and they're going to do the thing and sing the song when they go to bed, and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> but when we want that kind of respect, it, that is not an idol that, that is going to work for us in the long run. If, if that dad in Sound of Music had continued on that rung, what kind of relationship do you think he'd have with his kids when they get older? It wouldn't be existent, right? Because he doesn't respect them. And they're not going to really, they can respect him for a while, but they're not, that intimacy authority scale we talked about in week one is there and it's big. Um, We want our kids to have their own opinions. Um, We don't need to get offended when they ask us why. Sometimes with our coworkers, we have to explain why we want to do something, right? Right? And sometimes with our spouse, we have to explain why. Probably all the time. We have to explain why. Right? And so our kids are becoming adults. We have to, that has to be okay too for them to ask questions and for us to get in to the why of what we do. Again, that that respect is earned and not demanded. So in conclusion, let me wrap up here. We aren't with our kids enough. We know that. We don't ultimately control their salvation. It's not a formula. What what do we control? We control what we model. We control, are we enjoying being with God? We control the atmosphere of our home. Is it a place that encourages God dependence? And is it a place where it's okay to fail? And then we have to ask ourselves, what are my idols that I'm struggling with that are getting in the way of that atmosphere? The idols that are keeping me from engaging. So this, this week, I totally blew it. All right? So Friday... It's Valentine's Day. I woke up late. At our house, we get up around 7, and kids have to leave for carpool at like 7.30. I know, it's a quick turnaround time. It doesn't always go well, either. So, (laughs) I only have two that I, that even they're very independent and make their own lunch and their own breakfast and everything, I just have to get up and make sure they eat, okay? Like, that was job one, okay? Can I get up? And just make sure that you have fed yourself and that you have lunch. And then I was like, done. (laughs) I've checked the box. Okay, it's Valentine's Day. I sit down. They have a lunch. They have, they're moving towards that. I got like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I pull up my phone. I pull up Facebook. It's Valentine's Day. Let me see what people are saying. And then there's some video, some clickbait that's like something stupid. I don't even remember what it was. But for whatever reason, it grabbed me and sucked me into the device, right? And I'm sitting there watching this, waiting for the punchline of the joke or whatever, why it was on my feed, and I don't even know. Completely ignoring my children. They're not happy. It's Valentine's Day. I'm not showing them any love whatsoever, right? Are you fed? Do you have your lunch? Okay, you got ten minutes. I'm on my phone. That's a pretty... In the batting average, that was a big strikeout, okay? I didn't even realize until they walked out the doors, like I heard the door slam, and I went, oh, wait, I've been on my phone for the last 15 minutes, and this was the only 30 minutes I got with them this morning, and I won't see them till that evening, right? Um, all I did was manage them. Remember where we talked about managing your kids instead of engaging? I didn't engage with them. Um, I wasn't intentional. What did I communicate to them? Did I communicate that they were important? That I had any interest in their lives whatsoever? No. I did not. I communicated that my entertainment was more important than what they were doing. Now, on the positive side, they did have to be independent and self-sustaining. I really didn't help them or do squat for them that morning. Um... (laughs) I communicated my life doesn't revolve around them. That's a positive thing, <laughs> right? But <laughs> if my life doesn't revolve around them just so that I can entertain myself, that's a fail. The good thing is it's a batting average, right? That was one strikeout. Maybe today at lunch I'll get on base. Yeah,
0: she, you invited Like I feel a little bit outed. <laughs> um, I, I was sitting there as I was thinking about it with Jeff. I, it's been one of those weeks, and sometimes with parent you prep, I we're thinking about this stuff all week, and so, well, for months before even, and praying about it and thinking about it. And sometimes when I'm going to share, I know what I'm going to share. Like it's so obvious. It was a situation, and this week it just wasn't. And And I was praying about it this morning, and that's why I'm reading more today than I normally do because I wrote everything that I'm talking to y'all about today this morning. But I was thinking as Jeff was talking about my situation that I read at the very, very beginning about this family that modeled the rules but didn't really model grace. And that's a situation that we've seen over and over and over in youth ministry, I mean, it's not one family. It's multiple families. And, and I think I was listening to a podcast yesterday. There's a podcast called Redemptive Parenting, and it's got Kristen Hatton in it. And the, Jeff listened to some of them, and I listened to some of them, and we listened to different ones. But the first ones, the foundational ones, they talk a lot about this season being a time of your kids showing their sin And when they show their sin, that's our chance to point them to a Savior, to point them to Jesus. And I just thought that was a really beautiful way to look at failure as an opportunity to point them to Jesus. And as I was thinking about that, and then what I was going to talk to you all about today, is just this whole idea that sometimes I don't feel like I see things correctly. You know, like, I had a drama this week at work, and... I wondered, as I was reviewing it and thinking about it yesterday, if my perceptions were right. You know, you you judge a situation and you think you know and you think you understand. You infer motives and draw conclusions. And it can take you on this whole roller coaster of emotions. But what if it's not real? What if she didn't mean what I thought she meant and the conclusions I've made are all wrong? has that ever happened to any of you? (laughs) Kind of wondered. And then you take that and you apply that to parenting. And it made me wonder, am I too quick to think I know? I mean, I was 21 once. I was 18. I was 14. I know what it's like to graduate high school. I was in eighth grade and suffered with middle school drama, you know. And I think it's easy to think I know what my teens' lives are like. It's easy to dismiss their anxiety as a part of growing up. And I just wonder if what if I'm wrong? What if I don't know what their life is like? What if my perception of things is shallow and I'm looking at it through a lens of my idol of comfort? I think if I confess, I would say I really just want to fix or dismiss things. Because sitting in the dark places with my kids and their fear and their anxiety and their struggle is just hard. And it reveals my own fear and my own doubt. And I think that's the part that's easy for me to miss as a mama. Um, That really my job is to be a safe place you know, to be there to listen and to not try to have all the answers. In fact, it's better if you don't have all the answers. I was a teacher. I like to have the answers, but to sit and just listen because they have all of this information that's continually bombarding it, and they don't have this opportunity to process it, and I don't really want them to process it with their friends, right? Like the answers they'll come to are not maybe as helpful, and so What if my job really, instead of having the answers or directing their path, is to be a sounding place, a listening place, a place where they can come and be reminded of God's faithfulness, to have somebody believe you're going to make the right choice. And I believe God's with you and directing you. And you can have confidence in that. In the past month, I've met with several moms whose children seem to have left the faith. Or at least they're taking a break from Jesus. And I've sat across the table and I've grieved with them. And it's hard to know what to say. I've shared their grief over their children's bad choices. I've feared what lies ahead if they don't change course. And I've prayed with each mom, that God would pierce through their child's darkness with his light. And I continue to pray for those children. In fact, this morning I woke up at 5.30 thinking about one of those children and praying for God to show himself in their lives. I think God calls us to do that. Um, but as I was thinking about this thought, I, it made me think of Paul in Romans. And he talks in the book of Romans a lot about hope. First, he looks back and points out how all our forefathers hoped in God's promise. And then he talked about the current struggle to have hope in suffering. And then he prays. And in Romans 15, he says, as he's finishing up his letter to the Romans, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. It's easy to forget in this broken world that we serve a God of hope. So when our kids are doubting, we can confidently hold on to hope. And we can put their hands on hope, right? And when they're wandering, we can abound in hope, not because of the situation, but because of God's faithfulness. So we always want you to leave parent you Having prayed together as group, we want to grow a community here. We don't want it to just be um, good teaching. We feel like is a big place, and it's easy to get lost, and especially in this season of life. So I do want you to pray for each other, because sometimes our hope leaks, doesn't it? It runs out. And we need to pray for each other. And sometimes when I can't hold on to hope, I need you to hold on to hope for me. So... I want to give you a chance to do that, but before I do that, I wanted to tell you, we're trying this new thing. You guys can give us feedback if you like it or don't like it. Um, this idea of doing parent you homework, and it's just some talking points to do with your kids, and I have them back there last week. If you have time in your prayer groups, you can look at them again this week. Last week, we talked about um, about sharing a time you were tempted or you failed Um, This week, the questions are about your testimony and your own journey to faith. So share your testimony with your teen. How did you begin to follow Jesus? We can assume our kids know this, can't we? Like we think we've said it before, but maybe you haven't. So take your kid to coffee or bubble tea. That's my favorite thing is that bubble tea. I'm a little addicted, I'll admit. Um, Ask your teen, does God feel close or far away? That's not a hard question. That's not as hard a question as are you a Christian. You know, you don't want to get up in their grill. <laughs> but, like, does he feel close or far away? Because you can be a believer and he can feel very far away, right? And then share a time when God seemed far away. Um, in your own experience, how, what did you do in response to God feeling far away? Um, and then ask your teen. I've, I, this is a question I often go to, but how can I pray for you this week? Um, even non-believing teens will want you to pray for them. So it's a really easy question. You have to be careful that then you don't go, what do you mean? What do you mean you have a test? And I didn't know about what, what you know, it's not, that's not, you got to pull back (laughs) and just listen. So that's part of your homework. I do want to give you time to pray and then you're welcome to leave. We'll be here again next week, but I'm going to just close this in a real short prayer. But then I want you all to break into groups. Dear God, I thank you that you are God and that you love us and that you love our teens more than we do. And we lift up to you and we pray over everything talked about today. Lord, may you saturate our every moment of our lives. May we rest in you and we may, may we model our joy and our hope that comes from you. And may we hold a crown over each of our child, children's heads that they might grow into the person that you created them to be. I pray for this time of praying together as a community, and I pray that you would just draw us closer to each other. In Jesus' name, amen.